0: The next reading is from John's Gospel. It's the lectionary text for the day, and it's from John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. Hear these words now from the scripture. In the evening of the same day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked in the room where the disciples were for fear of the temple authorities. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Having said this, the Savior showed them the marks of crucifixion. The disciples were filled with joy when they saw Jesus, who said to them again, Peace be with you, as Abba God sent me, so I am sending you. After saying this, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. It happened that one of the twelve, Thomas, nicknamed Didymus, or twin, was absent when Jesus came. The other disciples kept telling him, we have seen Jesus. Thomas' answer was, I'll never believe it without putting my finger in the nail marks in my hand into the spear wound. On the eighth day, the disciples were once more in the room, and this time Thomas was with them. Despite the locked doors, Jesus came and stood before them, saying, Peace be with you. Then to Thomas, Jesus said, Take your finger and examine my hand. Put your hand into my side. Don't persist in your unbelief, but believe. Thomas said in response, My Savior and my God. Then Jesus said, You've become a believer because you saw me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed other signs, many other signs as well. Signs not recorded here in the presence of the disciples, but these have been recorded to help you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the only begotten so that by believing you may have life in Jesus' name. We hear the voice of God through these words. When I was a kid, my parents homeschooled me and my brother for several years. I don't know if any of you had that experience. Audrey, my wife, was homeschooled. And my dad's sister and her husband, my uncle and aunt, also homeschooled their five children. And my parents and aunt and uncle devised a plan to get in on the booming chicken industry in Texas the Tyson Chicken Company, was planning to open about 10 new chicken farms in Texas, and my uncle had a dream of owning one of these chicken farms and our families working the farm together. Joy. We would have all moved away from the Houston area basically to live out our existence in isolation from the influence of the liberal city, ensuring that all the kids in both families grew up with the right fundamentalist evangelical values and gender identities. When I was 13, my parents sold their home and we moved to a small little town on Highway 21 called North Zulch, Texas. We left our single family suburban home for a rented single wide trailer. My understanding at the time was that when the financing was complete for the farm, we would move again and begin our life on the farm. I find it ironic at this point in my own journey that my entire family had decided to escape the dangers of the liberal city by starting life over on a chicken farm. I remember two things about the year that we lived in North Zulch. My parents got divorced and I felt as alone and isolated as I ever probably had in my life. After my dad moved out, my mom had to find work and we weren't homeschooling anymore. And when I went to public school in North Zulch, I ended up skipping a grade. So I skipped eighth grade. I played basketball before we moved. And as it turns out, not only did I skip a grade, I was given a spot on the varsity basketball team in North Zulch, Texas, which doesn't say much for my basketball skills. Now all this may sound great on the face of things, but in reality, I was bullied daily probably because I was the new kid from the city. I didn't feel welcome at all. And two incidents stand out in my head about that year in that school. The first was I got into a a fight in biology class because another student kept walking by and hitting me in the back of the head. Um, And I lost my temper and uh, my emotions got out of control. And the other thing that I remember is people, uh, sorry if this grosses you out, literally peeing on my shoes in the locker room before basketball practice. And I put my foot into that wet shoe and then it occurred to me uh, what had happened. It was a little on the gross side. Before we moved away from that, town Um, an older student who was a senior in high school tried to hit me with his truck while i was skateboarding from school back to the trailer that we were living in the truth is i could have lived in that town for 30 years and never felt a sense of belonging i would always be an outsider always find myself othered Unfortunately, many people have the same experience in churches. Sociologists call this phenomenon in grouping and out grouping. And it happens in religious circles all the time. Ask the wrong questions in a Sunday school class, and you might find yourself in the out group. Come out to your family or to your youth group and face judgment and ostracization. Practice or express displeasure with racial or economic injustice and face the ire of white fragility and fealty to consumerism. In the passages that we read in today's service, the actions of Jesus in the text reveal a radical truth that is often forgotten in the church, that in the way of Christ, belonging comes before belief. Even by the end of the first century, following Christ became more about subscribing to a certain set of truth claims than the expression of radical love and grace. And by the third century, the emergence of the apostles in the Nicene Creed solidified that belief comes before belonging. Jesus appears to the disciples in Matthew's gospel and states in verses 16 and 17, that the text reads, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Have you ever noticed that in the Great Commission passage? As I recall in all the sermons on the Great Commission I ever heard in my fundamentalist upbringing, those sermons were really just exercises in conservative, colonialist, evangelical certainty and triumphalism. When many of us were small children, meaning many of us in Peace of Christ Church, Uh, The Southern Baptist Convention, the tradition of my own upbringing, had a famous, but I believe ill-named, campaign to take the gospel to every people group on earth. By the year 2000, the name of the program was Bold Mission Thrust. It seems to me that highlighting verse 17 was never a part of the mission strategy, that When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus sends out those with their own doubt concerning the resurrection itself to make disciples. He included and counted them as disciples, even though their beliefs were in various places or even all over the map. In John's gospel, we read that the resurrected Jesus appears in two instances to the disciples who have locked themselves in a room. In the first instance, Thomas wasn't there and says to his excited friends, I'll believe it when I see it. Thomas probably thought they were crazy. I mean, really, I was a pastor at two different churches and a youth minister before that for a decade. I've done a lot of funerals. And if somebody came to me and said, uh, you know, the person that we just buried, we saw them walking around the grocery store and they said hi to us. I would think that they're crazy. And so Thomas for nearly 2000 years has been othered by the church with the title Doubting Thomas. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas didn't have enough faith. Poor Doubting Thomas. (laughs) He should have been called Reasonable Thomas, or Sober Thomas, or Realist Thomas, or even Refuses to be Duped Thomas. The fact is, whatever manner Jesus appeared to them, Jesus had nothing but grace for Thomas. Jesus continues to include Thomas. In fact, before that, Jesus even included Judas at a table. Jesus called people to be his disciples that were Roman tax collectors and zealots, two political tribes that often wanted to kill each other. He never told anybody, get your beliefs Just perfect. And then you can be one of my disciples. He wasn't asking that rich young ruler when he said, sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor. And then the guy went away and sat. He wasn't asking the rich young man to change his beliefs. He was asking him to surrender his status, which allowed him to ostracize and other those created in god's image in the way of jesus belonging comes before belief inclusion comes before dogma welcome and extravagant love come before creeds and propositional truth claims I believe the real barrier many people have in following Jesus is not a failure to subscribe to dogmatic beliefs. It's a failure to set an open table. In verse 29 of John's Gospel in chapter 20, Jesus says, You've become a believer because you saw me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We may think in reading and hearing these words that there is no blessing for Thomas. The way John writes his gospel, unbelief is to be highly avoided. Now don't hear me saying this morning that belief is a bad thing. But do hear me saying that there is a blessing for Thomas. Thomas. The other disciples made room for him. Jesus welcomed him without judgment. In the story, as John recounts it, Thomas is the only one who reaches out to actually touch Jesus. What if our questions and even our doubts lead to greater proximity to one another and also to Jesus? What if our church, this beautiful community, continues to be an outpost of the Jesus way, where belonging comes before belief? Amen.